0: Welcome back to Binge List, your weekly podcast on everything that's worth binging on Aussie TV. Joining me in the studio are Who Magazine's TV experts, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Hi, guys.
1: Hello. Hi. Hello. This
0: this week, we've got some uh, big new TV shows. So without further ado, let's get into it. After the massive success of The People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story is back with the assassination of Gianni Versace. It's screening on Foxtel's showcase. Like its predecessor, this really is highly polished, exploitative trash. And I kind of mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> the 1997 murder of designer Versace rocked the fashion world, and this series tries to make some sense of what happened. It weaves a flamboyant and convincing narrative about the path of killer Andrew Coonanen, basing its claims on Maureen Orth's highly contested book on the case, which was called Vulgar Favours. The production is lavish, and most of the casting and acting is either on point or acceptable. Gavin?
2: Yeah, I was surprised when I read that Darren Criss was going to be playing a serial killer because obviously we all (laughs) know him as um, Blaine, the the lovely private schoolboy warbler from Glee. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: But he is great. He still has that sweet demeanour. That we loved about him in Glee, but there's this viciousness just below the surface. But the scene, it's oh, it, it's really um quite full on. The scene that stuck with me from the pilot was him gaffer taping that guy's face up so that he couldn't breathe and dancing <laughs> around in his underwear to Easy Lover in the first episode. It, it <laughs> completely disturbing, um, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of how the killer in American Psycho liked Huey Lewis in the News. Mm. But um, but I. I think I think Darren is great, and um, yeah, really, he's playing against type. There, we actually spoke to Darren about the role and, and about the show. Uh, so let's hear what he had to say.
0: I really hope that what we're doing is not from my you know from my work as, as playing Andrew, but the the, the project exe- itself. You, know, you hope that you're creating something. You're not just creating a spectacle or exploiting someone's tragedy for the sake of. Spectacle yeah. that that you were that you have to justify doing this by creating something much more positive and trying to spur on a dialogue and a discussion and because um, and and a, and a real exploration of the other things that were going on here. We're not just talking about the murders. We're talking about the American crime of whether it's homophobia and in the United States and, and institutional level from government bodies like the FBI or um or you know uh don't ask don't no tell and the military and there's a lot of other things that are kind of surrounding this uh, which i think american crime sort does a really good job of
1: yeah it's it's really interesting isn't it because i i totally agree with you gav that darren is fantastic in that role there's something really yeah really quite american psycho-ish about his portrayal he sort of reminds me a little bit about of all the kind of preppy boys I went to school with in the 90s, I always kind of suspected some of them had a darker side. But I have to admit, look, I I, I didn't love this. I actually only made it through one episode and that was only just. And I don't know if that was because my husband and I were watching it together and he was doing some elaborate eye rolls and (laughs) a lot of, oh, this show, you know. So, like, you know when you're watching something and you're trying to get into it and someone's just like in your ear going, this sucks. It's a, It kind of felt a little bit to me uh, like I don't like the kind of high camp sort of, I don't know, the kind of flamboyantness of this series. I, I quite like the people versus O.J. Simpson but it just kind of feels like and I, and I get that there's something really pleasurable about watching kind of well-executed trash TV, but it just, I just didn't love it. You guys are staring at me like I'm coca Loco.
0: Oh, look, Sorry. it was trash, but it's well-executed trash. And I think some of the casting was great. Like, I think Edgar Ramirez looked amazingly like Versace. Just really, oh,
1: my God, yes. Yeah,
0: really on point. And I also thought that Darren Criss uh, was really convincingly screwed up as Andrew Coonanen. um what about Ricky Martin, guys? I found that he cried a lot in this and possibly not, <laughs> yeah. lot, not a lot else.
2: I didn't really... Yeah, I, I didn't realise Ricky Martin acted... I mean, did he do General Hospital or something back in the day? Yeah, he did a
0: daytime soap.
2: But, um, yeah, that's right. I Yeah, I just couldn't see anyone but Ricky Martin because obviously Ricky was yeah. came to fame in the 90s around the same time, the late 90s, and yeah, obviously he was 20 years younger. But I could only see Ricky Martin um, in that role. And the same with Penelope Cruz. I could only really see Penelope Cruz oh, with the blonde wig on.
1: Yeah, no, I had a bit of an issue with Penelope Cruz, mostly because she doesn't look anything like Donatella Versace. No. She sort of looked a little bit like a movie star playing Donatella, like how Donatella would like to think of herself yeah. as being and looking, which is a bit brutal, I suppose. But um, I did actually read a little bit about this series and, and the, the, the you know, the, the family weren't, that pleased about the fact that it was being made. But the producers, I don't know if you guys read this, but they actually did honour Donatella's um, wishes not to have her daughter Allegra mentioned in the series, which is interesting because Gianni actually left the Versace fortune to her. But, yeah, so I kind of, it was hard to watch this without thinking about all the stuff I'd read about the making of it. Yeah. Right, right.
2: Well, I mean, it's a bit of a misnomer, really, because it really is the story of Andrew um, Yeah. I'm sure I've said that wrong, haven't I? Cunanan. 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 I was practising before the podcast. Because it, it's not really, <laughs> it's a, a little bit about the assassination of Gianni Versace, but it's really about Andrew's crimes and his backstory. Yeah. That is really um, the thrust of the
1: show. I didn't get far enough into it to kind of go down that route. Like, I just bailed out after the first series because it just all seemed a bit, little bit, just
2: too soapy for me. I mean, it's got Ryan Murphy all over it. And, of course, it is the latest anthology from Ryan Murphy, who's also behind the American Horror Story uh, series and also Feud.
1: Don't love that one either.
2: I don't love that one. I did like Feud, Betty and Joan, um, but obviously that came um, under fire from none other than than Olivia de Havilland.
1: Yeah. How how old
2: is she now? Is she 100?
1: A thousand. (laughs) She's
2: up there, yeah. She's up there. And she was played by Catherine Zeta-Jones in Feud. But um, they're a little bit fast and loose with the truth on feud. So, Matt, I know you're right across the history of the Gianni story. How how close is this to the truth?
0: There are some major, major issues with this portrayal of the story that uh, don't really connect to what a lot of people close to the case say really happened, um, including the allegation that... uh, Andrew Kunninan, who was a, a serial liar and a fantasist, had a prior connection to Versace before he murdered him. Um, people close to Versace say the claim of a prior connection is utter rubbish, right. and given uh, Kunninan's history of spinning fictional tales about his life, his claims about them knowing each other have to be taken with a large grain of salt. Right. Um, and also, yeah. yeah, also rejected by Versace's family is the claim that he was HIV positive. And now that diagnosis is given a lot of time in the first couple of uh episodes um and there's a couple of moments in here uh, beyond the factual that are a little uh, too much for me a little too silly like the autograph hunter in the opening scenes who was seen ecstatically soaking her copy of vogue with
1: Versace's yeah that's blow. when i kind of tapped out yeah, like. yeah in the opening <laughs> scenes
0: yeah yeah and then and and the wannabe model who's comically seen parading in front of the cameras at the murder scene in a versace outfit um some of the weirder stuff, though, in the show uh, that you would think was fictional turned out to be true. Like the fact that there was a, a white dove that was shot dead on the steps, along with the yeah. That really happened. It's very strange. It's very strange.
1: Because of the whole way that the first episode was shot, I was kind of all half expecting there to be a little tiny coffin. For the you know a little tiny autopsy of the bird, like <laughs> I, did, I was just sitting there going, oh god, this is. But then I like did a bit of googling. I'm like, oh my god, that was legit. That legit happened. How yeah. weird.
0: I think the I think the bird is actually seen in the in the morgue scene, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like waiting for the little tiny blue blue yeah. sheet to be lifted off its little dove head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, weird. But- now,
2: obviously, all nine episodes are available to binge at once, but my question is, I haven't got to nine, I, I kind of am, am in the middle of episode three, did it need to be nine episodes? Is there enough story to warrant that many episodes? Obviously, as we said, it's not just about Gianni Versace, it's really about Andrew, I'm not going to say his surname because I always get it wrong. <laughs> is his story enough to cover nine episodes or kind of could they have done it with six? And, we, and will you want to binge nine episodes?
1: Like, I can legit say that I won't be binging nine episodes. <laughs> just felt way too overacted and overwrought for me. Well, there, So but I would say no, Matt. <laughs> there
0: is a long story surrounding um, Andrew Coonanen's, um bloody reign of terror because I, I live with a real-life crime freak who loves watching documentaries <laughs> about this stuff. So I've I've seen a a (laughs) number of docos about about this crime. And, you know, it's a long, 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 long journey that he had from his first um, horrible crimes until he killed Versace. So there is a lot of material to go with. It's just whether you want to stick with that sort of thing or not. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. Now, back to Australia. And if you love the Aussie movie Mystery Road, have I got some good news for you? Aaron Pedersen and Judy Davis are starring in the much-anticipated TV series spin-off of that Outback drama, and it's coming to the ABC from June 3. The good news for binge viewers is that the whole series will also be available to download in one hit via iView. Claire, I know you really loved this one.
1: I did. I did. I really liked it. Um, and not just because I love Ar- Aaron Pedersen, I just feel like he can do no wrong. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I have to say I was really looking forward to seeing this um, and it didn't disappoint. It's basically, Aaron Peterson plays the central character and he is investi- he's a policeman. He's investigating um, the disappearance of these two boys who literally are like cattle hands on this really, really remote cattle station and they just disappear. And he's up there trying to figure out what's happened. Judy Davis plays the um, local police person that he liaises with. Colin Friels plays the guy that owns the cattle station. Deb Malman plays the mum of the boy who's gone missing. The, the, the story arc of the mystery and the and the kind of police investigation is actually really compelling. I loved it. If you're looking for a bit of a fast-paced adventure a la Jack Irish, which is another Aussie film that kind of made the transition to TV, I think you'll be disappointed. This, this is like, like the films, kind of moves at a very slow speed. Um, it's almost got a kind of slightly noir feel to it, and that's what I really like about it. I think it's really true to the films. Um, and I also really like the idea, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, about the fact that series television these days is affording people a, a, a medium to kind of explore characters in a lot more depth. And I really, I really loved the fact that we get to stay with these chari- with well, with Aaron's character a little bit more. Um, the older cast in this, played by Judy Davis, Colin Friels, Deb Mailman, they are all singularly fantastic Really, really good, um, especially Judy Davis. I I've, I've love, I just love her. And, again, she was in Bett and Joan, wasn't she, which, which yeah, we were yeah. just discussing. Yeah. She's a multi-award-winning actress who, uh, yeah, has kind of returned back home. But actually the younger cast um, is really great too, a little bit like Picnic at Hanging Rock, which um, I feel like we need to return and talk about at some point. The, there's a younger cast that are really interesting and really good. Um this one features Madeline Madden, who's actually in Picnic as well. She plays Aaron's daughter in this. Um, there's a guy called Main Wyatt, Tarzia Zala, who plays this really compelling character who's kind of at the centre of this plot about a, um, a two people who go missing from a remote cattle station in the Kimberley. Um, yeah, and just it's, it's really interesting to see this new generation of Aussie actors, especially Indigenous actors. Uh, a lot of these people have have been in Redfern now and um you know uh I think is it Maine's been in black comedy like lots of really cool shows um it's really kind of interesting to see um what they do there side note Aaron Pedersen actually used to babysit um, Madeline Madden which is hilarious And also, her auntie is Rachel Perkins, who's the director of this. So, there's a bit of a family connection. Um, What did you guys think? Matt?
0: Well, I think this show looks fantastic. The photography and direction are largely beautifully executed. It's so lovely, isn't it? Yeah, I found myself staring lovingly at some of the shots of the East Kimberley. But while it's great to see stories set in remote communities, the pacing of the first episode had me reaching for the off switch, I'm afraid. I last,
1: oh, you bailed, did you? Yeah,
0: I lasted roughly half an hour until I had to admit, admit to myself that I wasn't really watching it anymore. I'm sorry, oh. but that's the truth. Um, yeah, fair enough. The pacing might be reflective of some of the aspects of outback life, but my city attention span could not cope.
2: Yeah, I'm going to jump in and echo everything Matt says. We, we were both. Oh, no. We were both watching it in the office, not kind of our desks aren't really near each other, and uh, we were emailing each other during it. And maybe we should have been watching and, and not being distracted by email. But at one point, Matt sent me an email saying it's like watching paint dry,
1: <laughs> and,
2: and I agreed. Which it, is
1: entirely why I like it. Yes. I love well, there the we fact go. That it goes really slowly. Maybe it's because I'm a little sunny sand groper at heart. You know, my WA background. We, my parents lived up north. I'm in Carratha, which is kind of close-ish yeah, right. to the Kimberley. So I have been up to that part of the world and it is devastatingly beautiful. I think there's a part of me that really loved that about it.
2: it definitely, um, yeah. The location is great. They just seem to be going on and on and on about the ute. The I ute. Just, I didn't care. I think there's a bit of a problem, and I'm not saying that this show is definitely doing this, but a lot of shows are slow for the sake of being slow. I feel like, but
1: that's the point. That's well, the
2: whole point. Yeah, but I feel like post Mad Men, every show thinks that oh, I want to be credible. I want to get awards. I want you know. I want to be seen as as you know premium drama. So I, I need to slow down the pace, and it's like. You know, that's
1: not... There's the a own. genre, though. Like, it's a little bit like all that Scandi Noir. I mean, just replace the kind of frozen tundra of those kind of um, shows with the wide ex- red expanse of Outback Australia, and you kind of get that same sure. sense of foreboding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sounded really smart when I said that. Go me. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I do.
2: I do. But I feel kind of like in the, the best Scandi Noir, stuff still happens. Like The Bridge and The Killing and, and all those shows which I've watched and loved. I'm gripped because, you know, things are happening and it, it's ticking along. Yeah, I these, so, I just yeah. felt like, you, you know that show The Garn where they stuck a camera on the oh, train? Yeah. That's like <laughs> yeah. proper slow TV. Tro this is a bit loved. like The Garn or it's just like, yeah, we're watching a train cross the middle of Australia.
1: Oh, that's brutal. No, I totally disagree <laughs> with that. I absolutely disagree, but I can kind of see where you're coming from. It does take a long time for things to get going in this. Yeah,
2: and I don't and have the patience.
1: It's not a little bit like, it's not like wake, wake in Fright, which was kind of a bit more sort of a terror psychological kind of thing. This is this is slow, character-driven drama, which is very much based on, on the performances of the central cast, which I think are fantastic. So I, it's worth watching alone for that.
0: Well, maybe if people have strong opinions either way, they can let us know. So, Claire, is this one bingeable? Will you be watching the whole thing in one hit?
1: Yeah, yeah, I binged it. Um, I got sent some some preview screeners for it and I just couldn't stop watching it. So, yeah, I think if you're into it, then you're going to want to binge it.
0: So there you have it. Make up your own mind and let us know what you think.
1: Who Magazine's Binge, Binge, Binge List.
0: And now it's time for TV news viral food docos have become a bit of an obsession on Netflix whether they're trying to convert you to veganism like what the health or t- just trying to scare your senseless, like fat sick and nearly dead there's something for everyone the latest doco to get everyone talking is the magic pill which is pushing the ketogenic diet
1: that's no good Fat's no good don't want fat in my diet we have
0: lived alive for 50 years you know it's not an accident that people are hooked on all this processed garbage
2: Having the federal government get behind the low-fat diet
0: changed vastly the food system. Suddenly now we're eating a carbohydrate-based diet. You might as well be eating a bowl full of sugar. What powers the brain far more efficiently is fat. Everyone's talking about keto right now, so the timing couldn't be better for this one. But maybe watch it now before the next buzzworthy trend, the meat-only carnivore diet, drowns out uh, the buzz. Yes, I'm serious. <laughs> that really is a thing.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: If you haven't heard about the keto diet, it advises eating only the bare minimum of carbs and avoiding grains like the plague, and instead subsisting on a fat-heavy diet with lots of protein. You'll see scenes of people lothering vegetables with animal lard uh, in this film. This really... <laughs> This really goes against the grain of mainstream dietary advice, which mostly teaches us that a high-fat diet is a sure pathway to heart disease and death.
2: It's, it's so extreme. Um, yeah. My, my approach to food is everything in moderation. I'm no nutritionist, Dang. but um, I, I feel like when it gets extreme and, you know, you have to cut out all of this or, or all of that, I mean, unless you're cutting out junk food, I feel like it's a bit full on. Um, so so this documentary, which was, you know, gung-ho for this diet, I was a bit like, yeah, it's just a bit much really though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I kind of I kind of felt that way too. But having said that, I think there is something to be said for anything that pushes the idea that we need to rethink the way we eat. I mean, one of the main messages of this is that um, the way that we have been eating in the past with lots of processed food and a very carb-heavy diet is not working, which we've, we all know that now, I mean, the, the rates of obesity in this country. I think there is something to be said for flipping the food pyramid and, and rethinking that, but I think that some of the fervent kind of... Um, quite out there things that are discussed in this, kind of take away from that message. Just just as a side note, there was a great documentary on SBS, I think it was earlier this year, maybe late last year, called The Obesity Myth, yeah, which yeah. is really, really good. It was um, it was kind of interviewing people that were taking part in this study, I think at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne, um, which essentially sees people who are extremely overweight and obese going on quite a radical diet, which essentially is the keto diet Um, and it's overseen by a heap of um, doctors there is medical proof that this way of eating is can be very beneficial for people who are overweight and suffering health complications i just think it's a little bit dangerous to push it as literally the magic pill
0: yeah yeah now like a lot of these docos the magic pill contains a mix of genuinely compelling information and emotionally charged anecdotes that might possibly be a lot less reliable There are people here who swear blind that the keto diet cured them of cancer and diabetes or helped their kids who have
1: been I have such a problem with that. I just had such a problem with the way that that's presented.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a fair bit about people who thought that their kids had uh, been really benefited um, after having struggled with autism and then going on this diet. Now, these kinds of emotionally charged claims have thrilled and angered people, probably in equal measure. Um, But, you know, for all the cheerleaders that this diet has, there are plenty of people who say it's rubbish. Um, AMA boss Dr Michael Gannon has called the film's claims, quote, patently ridiculous and, quote, harmful. Um, The doco has some prominent internet vegans on the warpath, I've noticed. There are a whole bunch of really vitriolic uh, tirades against it popping up on YouTube. Check them out just for entertainment purposes. Um, The magic pill will either excite you or make you angry. Uh, What did you think?
2: I just I just thought watching it um, that you know some of the people was like oh my kids won't eat anything except goldfish whatever they are so that that um, yeah, processed biscuit yeah and I, I you know I, I kind of feel like well they won't eat anything else because that's all you've given them and all this yeah thing about, exactly you know we need to eat less processed food it's like duh yeah uh, like,
1: I did I thought I thought that was actually one of the more interesting bits where they they're trying to change this kid's diet um, this little Little gorgeous little girl suffers from autism spectrum. she's on the spectrum she mm. can't she's nonverbal, and they talk about um the struggles of introducing new food. I could kind of relate to that because i i have a I have a toddler, and you know he can be pretty picky mm. and i and I felt like at least they did show the struggles that they had getting this kid and but then then it was like, but then you know, like two weeks in she she was eating this and that, oh my God, she spoke for the first time, and it's like well... Yeah, you, it's because you're actually giving her nutritional food. Like it's not it's not rocket science, no. you know.
2: Why weren't you like, doing that earlier? Why weren't yeah. you eating better as as adults? Why weren't you eating better and then passing that on to your children from yeah, the start? Yeah, and I get
1: I get that it can be really difficult to get your children to eat properly, and it's very tempting to just go, oh, have a fish finger, darling, you'll be right." Mm. But yeah, I don't know. I just um, I just seen this as a cure all. Just yeah. Really, really annoyed me.
0: The notion of a literal magic pill is very problematic. But uh, rather than completely dismissing it, I'd suggest people watch it. There is some yeah. interesting stuff in here. Yeah, there, there is. Yeah. There's uh, some information about um, a children's hospital, I believe, in Honolulu that is apparently taking the ketogenic diet very seriously for autism spectrum um i'd like i would have liked to hear more from experts Same. Um, the, yeah. la- the lady in this who apparently um, was cured of breast cancer i would have loved to have he- heard from her oncologist various other people to hear what they thought about it yeah
1: why didn't they like why didn't they interview her doctors
0: yeah that, I, I i thought that was a failure on their part not to include yeah. that information Bad because journalism. it would have been very compelling to hear that Yes, a very controversial show. Uh, A lot of people are going to have different views on it, so check it out and tell us what you think. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. To binge or not to binge, that's the question. And it seems that Indiana Mole Woman Kimmy Schmidt really is unbreakable (laughs) because she's back with season four on Netflix. Uh, she was locked underground by a cult leader for years on end, and she's not going back underground anytime soon, it seems. Claire, to binge or not to binge, tell us all about Kimmy Schmidt.
1: Oh, I've been a big fan of Kimmy Schmidt since the start. I mean, as I say in the, um, in the theme tune, this is going to be a fascinating transition. And it's basically about how Kimmy, who's been kidnapped by the Reverend, played by John, ha- John Hamm, um, and hidden underground in a bunker for 15 years adapts to life outside the bunker. It's from um, Tina Fey, who is from 30 Rock fame. It's got her thumbprints all over it. Um, The first series, in my opinion, is just fantastic the second and I don't know I kind of lost its way a little bit but this is actually the final in the series and we get to find out where Kimmy's at so basically season four sees her jumping into a new job at a startup internet kind of startup called GizTube (laughs) um (laughs) GizTube GizTube I don't even know but it's um yeah. Meanwhile, um, Jacqueline's decided to become a talent agent, which is just the perfect fit for her personality. And Titus uh, is um, busily becoming a high school drama teacher, again the perfect fit for his personality. Um, I kind of went into this with low expectations, given that I didn't a hundred percent love series three. And I watched the first episode, and I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be a little bit like last season, where there's a few laugh-out-loud funny bits, but..." you know, nothing to kind of make me want to commit. And then I watched the second episode and I was like, that's really funny. And then, my gosh, I watched the third episode, which I think fans of Kimmy Schmidt and just fans of comedy in general, you absolutely have to watch this episode. It's um, it's actually, without giving too much away, it's kind of an origins episode of The Reverend and explains a little bit about why he came to kidnap those women and put them in the bunker, which when you, when you describe it, sounds like some awful like Netflix true crime kind of thing, but he's but actually, um, it's very funny, but it has some very interesting things to say about toxic masculinity and men. And there's, uh, there's one particular scene with John Hamm which had me literally yelling at the TV, oh, my God, like when was the last time you yelled Oh, I can't believe, what? Like, that just never happens. Uh, it takes a lot to surprise or shock me. But something happens in this episode which is just so fantastically shocking. But, yeah, what did you guys think?
2: On on your suggestion, Claire, I did watch some of episode three. I'm not a regular Kimmy viewer. I'll get to that in a minute. But I did watch some of episode three and I liked the um, Netflix crime doco vibe to it. I thought it was very funny.
1: Yeah, 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 funny yeah. It's like and, a phone. Very
2: clever. <laughs> By oh, making a murder, yeah, yeah, a, a really funny way to do the backstory. But oh, I can't watch this show. I didn't really? get past the pilot originally. It's so oh, annoying. Really? Not even the presence of Jane Krakowski could get me over the line with it. I, I tried the first episode as well of this season and only lasted five minutes. I'm not a fan.
1: The first is not great. And I have to say that Series 4 is one for the fans. There is just in-joke after in-joke after in-joke. It's got a lot of awesome guest stars, including um, Busy Phillips and Greg Kinnear and Amy Sedaris, who is so hilarious in this um in this series yeah but if you if you if you bowed out in the first series then don't even bother because you just won't get it
0: yeah yeah you have to be in the right frame of mind to watch this show it's it's silly fun isn't it it's very broad it's silly it's cute um i like it when i'm in the right frame of mind but it's not something i regularly watch but it's interesting to see that it's so persistent and it's got such a um frenzied fan base even still
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's won 16, it's, well, it's earned 16 primetime Emmy Award nominations. That's, that's nothing to be sniffed at. But it's a bit like 30 Rock. By the end of 30 Rock, if you, if you weren't invested in it, I, think, I feel like the creators were like, if you don't like us, you're not going to find us now. But if you were into us and you've kept with us, then here's a couple of in jokes to keep you, know, to keep you laughing out loud.
0: Yeah. And now for something completely different. Gavin, you've been watching The Good Fight. Oh, I
2: have. I love The Good Wife and um, The Good Fight, the spin-off from The Good Wife. I'm a big fan of that as well. And with two seasons under its belt now, The Good Fight very much stands on its own two feet. There are obvious similarities to The Good Wife. There's rip from the headlines cases. The judges are pretty funny. The legal strategizing is genius. Um, But the fact that this is an ensemble show rather than following one main character gives it a different feel. That and the fact that the characters get to square because oh, in the US this screens on streaming service CBS Access uh, and not on network TV. So there's, yeah, lots of F-bombs going around, which is realistic in a high-pressure job like uh, the legal profession. They would be swearing. So season one dealt with Diane Lockhart, played by Christine Baranski, joining a majority African American law firm following the loss of her life savings in a Ponzi scheme. Her goddaughter, Maya, played by Rose Leslie, whose parents operated the scheme, also joined the firm and became the subject of an FBI investigation. That storyline is dealt with once and for all in the season two opener and the focus of season two is a spate of lawyer killings by disgruntled clients, which is pretty full-on. But it's actually the standalone stories this season that have been more interesting. Like the firm were interviewed by by the Democratic Party to get ready impeachment proceedings against Trump. That was a pretty uh, fun.
1: fun, If only.
2: Yeah, that was a pretty (laughs) fun story arc. And Trump looms large in the series. Uh, He's constantly referred to. The show is very much a product of the time we find ourselves in. And fittingly, the show which opposes Trump has a predominantly female and African-American cast. Diane Lockhart is as brilliant as ever. She's dry and articulate. But she also goes through some uh, real-life re-evaluation this season. In fact, all the women are great. There's Sarah Steele and Cush Jumbo, whose characters originally appeared in The Good Wife. And if there's a weak link, it is Rose Leslie's Maya, but even she's growing on me. So if you love your legal dramas, this is a good one. It's it's as smart and funny as The Good Wife was, but it, it taking it in slightly new directions. Season two is available on SBS On Demand at the moment. Episode one has about a month left there before it expires. And season one is on Stan, and I assume season two will head there next.
0: Right. Well, as we all know, not all shows get the attention they deserve. And today's hidden gem is British sitcom Dead Boss on iview. What's it all about, Claire?
1: No. well, it's kind of a little bit like Kimmy Schmidt in that it's just absolutely flat out bonkers which is what i love about it i this this definitely would have passed you by it passed me by and i'm right about tv for a living it's a drama from catastrophe sharon Horgan, you know the um amazing irish comedian who um is behind that award-winning show with rob delaney this is her show that she created way back in 2014 and um it only ran for one season. It didn't massively get embraced over there. I feel like it had kind of mixed um, mixed reviews, and and as such, it was never recommissioned. So there is a sense when you watch this show about a woman played by Sharon who is wrongly convicted of a crime and sent to a women's prison. Like this is no Wentworth, though. This oh. is just ridiculous. Funny fun. It's um it's fantastic that ABC comedy have resurrected it because I think it would have just got lost and I never would have discovered it. But um it also stars a very funny Jennifer Saunders who plays um the equivalent of Vera, I guess. She's in she's in charge of the women's prison. And there's a really fantastic cast of misfit supporting characters who are every bit as funny as Sharon is. In fact, Sharon who co-wrote this, um, it feels like she's doled out the gags evenly between everybody. Um and and it is one of those shows where it's just one liner after one liner. It's very ridiculous, um, but yeah, it's um, it's really it's really interesting because it kind of it plays out, and it's all about her trying to prove her innocence, and she's got a lawyer on the outside that's helping her, and and then it just kind of ends, and I was sort of was left wanting more. But obviously, catastrophe I think took everyone by surprise with its success and kind of launched Sharon into the stratosphere in terms of global fame and um, it's just been recommissioned, I think, for a fourth series. So we're, n- we're not likely to revisit Dead Boss anytime soon, but if you're, if you're looking for a very funny kind of six-part comedy that just will make you giggle in the same way that Kimmy Schmidt does and um, if you like shows like Camping, which is um, a really great series that I actually watched on the plane and it's, being, it's a British comedy which is being remade by Lena Dunham. For American audiences, you'll love this. You'll if you like Peep Show, you'll like it. If you like League of Gentlemen, you'll like it. It's got a little bit of all of those things. It's definitely worth a look if you like stupid, silly stuff like me.
2: Is it anything like Catastrophe? Because I love Catastrophe. Nothing.
1: I, right. <laughs> Nothing I don't really, like it. I was
2: listening to all the shows you were listing off as, as references. And I was like, yep, don't like that, don't like that. But I do oh, love really? Catastrophe.
1: <laughs> Catastrophe's great, but it definitely has. Um, sometimes I watch Catastrophe and feel more like it's a documentary about my life because <laughs> it's like someone's put a hidden camera in my house. Um, so it's definitely rooted in reality, whereas Dead Boss is surreal, it's absurd, it's just plain, flat out, bonkers. That seems to be the word of the day today. Bonkers, bananas, cracker-lackers. Right, you've
0: convinced me I'm going to give this one a go. What about you?
1: Oh, I can't wait to find out what you think, Matt.
0: Yeah, well, I'll try the first episode and probably get bored and turn it off. Well, thanks for joining us once again. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or Omni. and remember to tell us what you think on Twitter. Just look for Gavin Scott ninety nine, or I am Claire, or Mister Matt Denby. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next week, when we take a look at the return of Arrested Development. Happy viewing.
1: Ooh, controversial. Bye. Bye.